So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode where we're going to be exploring trust. Who do you trust in your family the most? And in your friends? Who do you trust in your workplace? And why do you think you trust them? And what would you trust them with? These are all really interesting questions of a fascinating topic and one which is essential for us to build solid relationships and to build high performing teams. But it's really quite intangible. We just have this sense of whether we can trust somebody or not. Sometimes it pays off and we get huge satisfaction from knowing that we've taken a risk and that we have someone to rely on. And at other times, our trust is broken and it makes us doubt everything. It makes us want to go alone. But of course we can't. Here's a taste of what's to come. I experienced good teams and bad teams. And the good teams were certainly, the biggest thing was trust. I think trust is a lot about authenticity. On the flip side, if I don't see professionalism, I don't care what quality you have if you come to a club like Chelsea, and there were a few, again, not to be named, but they will move on pretty quickly because that trust isn't there. So you need somebody who's going to give you feedback and that's only going to be valued if there's trust. Well, trust is the glue that binds. You can't have any high-performance team uh, without trust. We're living in a time of declining trust and fake news. We're awash with information and the single aim of all the marketeers and news sites is to get our attention. It's almost like the more extreme the headlines or clickbait, it draws us in with these bold claims or scandalous judgments. I saw some stats from Ipsos, the poll company, and Statista, earlier in preparation for this that looked at the global decline of trust and they map people's trust in the media and they looked at about 26 different countries and across the board there was a decline in trust of their media between 30 and 50 percent depending on which country you were from. That's pretty shocking and this was over the last three or four years and there seemed to be a step down from the most trustworthy source was TV then the radio and then dropping down another step onto the internet, which has clearly got millions of products and services claiming 
that uh, they're all out there doing brilliant things and really they're there to catch our eye. So despite these declining trends in the last few years, trust seems to be one of those timeless and universal forces which binds people and communities together around a shared set of values and goals. Without it, we'd all have different aims, conflicting agendas and motives, and this would cause massive conflict, even war. Trust is a good thing. It's an aspiration. And I saw one dictionary definition which said that trust is feeling safe when vulnerable. We can imagine a safe house tucked away in a wintry scene with a log fire while the harsh winds and snow fall all around. And that ability to feel safe by a trusted environment when you feel vulnerable is really important. So trust is a refuge where you can be yourself and not have to put on a front, not feel scared, where you're accepted just as you are. To get this feeling, it means that our environment is key, the emotional and psychological context we're operating in. It's the space between people that either feels like a safe refuge or like a viper's nest where we have to watch our back and stay on high alert. So our interpretation of the situation is key. I saw some psychologists, Green and Howe, created an equation of trust, which looks at the factors on the top of the equations which build trust. So they are competence, how good you are at something, reliability, how often you do what you say you're going to do. And the third thing that adds up across the top of the equation is intimacy or transparency or vulnerability. So how much of yourself and the context are you revealing and sharing? How open are you being about it? And if you are really competent and you're really good at what you do, that's great. If you're really consistent and you deliver that and never let me down, that's great. Uh, And the more authentic and transparent and open you can be, that also builds trust. And then on the bottom part of the equation, the denominator had one key term. So all those things build trust across the top. But this one, when it's in play, divides trust and that's self-interest. So it's really interesting that you can be good at your job. You can deliver consistently and, and keep doing well. But I think if you're advising me or making a decision that's really good for you to make money or get promoted, or it's for your own self-interest that you're giving me this advice, then that definitely erodes trust and I'm less likely to trust you. So maybe you can look back on that first question I asked about who you trust and why, because it may be that the people you don't trust have got a hidden agenda. They've got self-interest that's just so obvious that they're not being open and authentic. I'm fascinated by how mindset plays a role in building relationships and strong corporate cultures. And I can see how these hidden agendas and selfish behaviours can really halt trust, whereas selfless sacrifice towards a common goal adds further to trust. The beauty of the digital toolkit that we've created at Sporting Edge from all the interviews is that we can type in a search term like trust And all the tags pull the content together on that particular theme. So we get a brilliant cross-section of perspectives from very different career backgrounds. So the experts that we're going to hear from in today's session have never met and they certainly didn't hear each other's answers. But you'll hear common themes coming through. 
and they might be from the military, the ballet, they might be best-selling authors, Olympians or business leaders. So all of these people in today's show have operated at the very top of their fields and they were asked exactly the same question, how do you build trust? So let's kick off with Anna Hemmings MBE, Britain's most successful female marathon kayaker with a staggering 11 World and European Championship medals, nine of them gold. Anna shares her insight on the teams that had trust and those that didn't. I experienced good teams and bad teams. Um, and the good teams were certainly, the biggest thing was trust, without a doubt. You had to trust people. You know, I was in some teams when you just knew there wasn't trust in the, in the, in the boat. You know, if I was in a, in a K4, four-person kayak, and not everyone was, had the same agenda, people had different goals, um, there just wasn't the trust there. It just was never going to work, and it didn't work. But then on the other hand, when I did race in a crew boat and there was trust there, it was, that was one of the keys. Um, having alignment in your vision, in your goals, knowing that we're all working towards the same thing, that's absolutely essential. You certainly have to build trust in a team. I don't think it just is there initially, because as individuals, and particularly athletes, you're all you know, pretty self-centred a lot of the time, and you've got your own goals, and you're trying to achieve your own ambitions. And so when you start to realise that, actually, we've got the same goal here, and we're both trying to achieve the same thing, um, and I trust that you are trying to do the best that you can, um, and, I, and I think over time, when you work with someone, when you train alongside somebody, you know that they're putting in everything they can, um, and you can see it. And so then you start to realise that actually I can put my trust in this person, I know that they're giving their all, and I can rely on them. So I don't think that happens overnight. Um, but that's not to say, you know, you don't have to be best friends with those people. Um, it obviously, it helps if you get along, and particularly in sport when you've got to spend a lot of time with them. But, you know, I did some great races with people who I'm not best friends with, but we respected each other. And I think that's really important, is to have that mutual respect. There are some great points in there, and I especially love the one about not needing to be mates. We don't need to be great friends to trust each other. I just need to respect you, to know that you can deliver for us when it really matters as a team. So people, when they cut corners and look after themselves, when the pressure and scrutiny rises, that costs you dearly in terms of trust. But those that work hard and sacrifice towards the goal for the team, even if you don't win the medal or win the award or win the race, whatever it is, you can still trust those people because you strived and tried your best and went for that team goal and all worked together rather than looking out for your own agenda. Our next insight comes from Baroness Sue Campbell, who's been a highly respected leader in elite sport for several decades. She was the successful chair of UK sport through two Olympic cycles and now oversees the Lionesses for the FA. Her perspective brings in the dynamics of power and finance to test the trust equation as a leader. I think trust is a lot about authenticity. You know, people, people don't always like you, but they'll trust you if you are authentic. <laughs> you know, if you are, you know, if you, if, if you are what it says on the tin, if what you project is what you are, not you're projecting one thing one minute and something else another, or you're projecting one thing, but when you go away, you do something different. 
So I think people need to know you're authentic. They need to know what, you know, these guys would know what would irritate me. These guys would know what makes me happy. But they also know I, I'm, I am what, what you see. And I think trust between organisations or uh, quite often, particularly if you're an organisation that hands out money, it's quite hard to know whether people really trust you or actually they're being jolly nice to you because they want some more money. And building trust has to be about nothing to do with money. It has to be about a belief you're on the same journey, a belief you care as much for their success as you do for the organisation you're involved in. And when that belief becomes very real, um, and then people begin to believe that you are, will always be there, highs and lows, goods and bads, you know, then actually there is, I think you can do amazing things with people, but they, you have to be authentic. Well, Sue is certainly authentic and it allows people to predict future decisions and reactions. If someone's Machiavellian or manipulative for their own gain, it's very hard to predict what they're going to do down the line. So trust is really low. Whereas when we communicate clearly and honestly about the shared goal and then act selflessly in accordance with it, then that's the perfect way to role model leadership and build trust. The problem is that not everyone does that when they have money or power and their character flaws are exposed and their ego is all that remains. Keeping the money theme, Paddy Steinfor is a leading sports psychologist who's worked with several major sports franchises in North America, including the Boston Red Sox and the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's now supporting Australian soccer as their performance director. Here, he breaks down the process of building or eroding trust. The majority research on trust shows that it comes from two main sources, and that's character and competence. There's a third one that you can probably tie in there as well, which is caring. But specifically as a leader, um, we all trust leaders who know what they're doing and also who have the best interests of their followers at heart. That means as a business, um, as a team, as a class, that as a leader, I know my stuff, but I also am looking after this group. And that's where you really start to trust in the decisions that sometimes may be controversial, but if you trust that leader because they're very competent and they have good character, you're more likely to follow what they say. Any action or behavior or decision that is made that is starkly in contrast to building those two things will, will basically take coins out of their trust bank account. So over time, every time you do something as a leader or as a coach that shows me you're competent or shows me that you have good character and you, you're not about your own ego, but you're about the group or even me as your follower, um, every time you do that, we get a little deposit in the trust bank account and it goes up and up and up over time. But when you make a withdrawal, when you happen to do something that shows that you're really incompetent with what I need you to be good at, or you are very selfish and you're making decisions based on what you need as opposed to what the team needs, that's when we make a withdrawal and the withdrawals aren't little small ones either. If you happen to break that trust, it tends to go down a lot steeper and it takes time to build that up again. So these incremental behaviours are key. That's why under-promising and over-delivering is so vital, especially early on in our relationship. We can't afford to let people down after promising the world to them. 
small, consistent building blocks are the key. So maybe after someone's delivered consistently 10 or 15 times on these small promises, that means that there's enough in that trust bank account then to take a higher stakes project or a bigger risk with them. Uh, because we know that we can rely on that early evidence. But it's a long way back if we give people a big risk with no track record and they let us down early in the relationship. Let's stay with sport for a moment and hear from the Chelsea and England football legend Frank Lampard as he explains how superstar Didier Drogba became a trusted member of that trophy winning team. I think trust starts with professionalism. Trust starts when... You know, um, Chelsea, for instance, signed Didier Drogba, and we read the papers. I haven't seen much of him in Marseille, and you go, oh, "Great player, that sounds good, brilliant." Um, then he turns up at the, at the training ground, and from the moment he steps in there, he wants to train, he wants to work, he wants to rub off on people, he wants to become part of the club. I think an identity of a club is hugely important. When you play for Chelsea, you must feel Chelsea. It needs to be in your veins for that period of time. Um, and Didier Drogba was an example of it. There will be many others I can pick out, but from the moment they walked in. I saw a look in the eye and, and a desire and a work ethic that meant, wow, this fella means business. Then you see performance and then you trust them because you know that as you talk about doing jobs in my apartment is this, but I can't be a target man. That's Didier's role. I can't be a right back. That was Paolo Ferreira. I can't do that. When you see that they not only are great at what they do, but they absolute absolute professionalism, um, then I trust them. On the flip side, if I don't see professionalism, I don't care what quality you have if you come to a club like Chelsea. And there were a few, again, not to be named, but they will move on pretty quickly because that trust isn't there. Generally, then that relates to performance too, which is another thing. But in the dressing room, if somebody, players at a strong group are like, we, like we were, see somebody come in who thinks that it's slightly different, standards are there, then it won't work. So that's a fascinating insight from what we know became a superstar, Didier Drogba, in the Chelsea side, that he came in, kept his head down, uh, had that massive work ethic and then delivered day after day uh, for his team in his specific role so that everyone knew they could rely on him. And that's the key to high performing teams, that each individual takes accountability for their role. There's no excuses. There's no victim mindset. They just get on and deliver consistently and reliably, and that builds that trust for them. So aside from elite sport, how can we foster this within intact teams? James Kerr wrote the best-selling book Legacy about the All Blacks, and here he explains how teams can foster this essential ingredient for collaboration. You know, trust's you know, clearly critical, uh, easily you know, hard won and easily lost. Um, you know, you only need to look at some of the recent kind of Premier League um, in the last couple of seasons to see moments where the locker room has been lost. How do you build it? Building trust takes time and it takes, um, it takes what I'd call sort of social connection. You know, we have a lot of, we can hide behind suits and have a lot of transactional moments with people that we work with. Um, uh, but you know, smart leaders and smart, smart team members really find ways to connect off the pitch, if you like. Um, and uh, that can be, you know, that can be drinks on a Friday night. It can be the sort of, you know, dreaded organized fun of away days and so on, which are invested in because they work. Um, 
or you can find different ways of creating an environment um, in which people connect uh, in a way that's beyond professional, if that makes sense. Still professional, but beyond just going through the motions. Um, that's the way to accelerate trust. So James's insight tells us that accelerating trust can come from the social dimension, not just from delivering your role efficiently. Being a reliable robot is great in terms of consistency, but if I know you as a human being too, then I can predict how you might behave when really tested. If I know your character in times of stress, power, celebration, then I have a deeper understanding of you through the turbulence that all teams experience. Those corporate team building days and activities take you away from the day-to-day dynamics. They blur team reporting lines and dissolve hierarchies. As everyone is at the same novice level at cooking, building a bridge or paintballing, it's this ability to work together and rely on each other across broader dimensions than just our work, which really deepens the social bond. This made me reflect on the Gloucestershire One Day team that won all the trophies around the year 2000-2003. We travelled, we partied, we dealt with personal and family situations and adversity all together. This was the personal foundation that then gets overlaid with our roles and cricketing interdependencies, those skills that we need. So we had a personal foundation and then the skills and the understanding of each other's games lay on top of that. We knew each other so well as people and that created this sixth sense of how we'd adapt and cover each other as the game changed and the pressure ebbed and flowed. And that special bond really allowed us to win all those trophies. So this ability to keep a sharp focus on performance as well as building trust in relationships is absolutely key. And that's where determined and ambitious leaders come in. Risa Steinberg is the highly respected dance director at the famous Juilliard School of Dance in New York. And her insight gives us a great view on how trust is maintained in the artistic world when precision is expected. I was trained by really tough people who had really high standards, but I never ever felt that their standards or their demands were to to break me down. I always felt their demands were to get me to my potential. And so I think I was very lucky. I was not humiliated. I wasn't degraded. I was really lucky. I'm not easy, you know, I'm, I'm a tough coach and, and I adore detail and I adore the responsibility that an artist or a young dancer needs to take. But I also believe that you can demand through respect and love. And I'm, I don't think about that, I think it's just who I am. but. Because I'm not sweet, I'm not kind, I'm demanding, I'm tough. But I think they also know that I really care about them and that I want them to be good because they have the resources and they have the right to be the best they possibly can. They have the right to be that. And my job is to help them get there. I can't do it for them, 
Um, and especially in dance, because you're not, you know, there are no statistics. You're not, you, you know, you're not seeing it, right? So you need somebody who's going to give you feedback, and that's only going to be valued if there's trust. I can picture this dynamic as the coach and the dancer want the same thing. Excellence. The feedback of the coach needs to be clean and free from any hidden agendas or ego, and it needs to be caring and developmental. Great coaches don't bully, they build confidence, and they don't humiliate, they hone skills. But at the top level, they're forensic in their assessment and relentless in their standards. And it's this balance of support and challenge which lets the dancer know that this path may well be hard, but it's going to be fair. You can imagine this coach looking you dead straight in the eye. There's nothing to squirm or deflect here. This is your career and I'm here every step of the way to help you to reach your potential. That's got to build trust. The next perspective comes from another leading author. It's Owen Eastwood, whose work around belonging and team culture is fascinating. Owen's insight balances the hard stance of the exacting dance coach with the emotional connection. So a leader builds trust through the type of behaviours we would expect and their competence, and their consistency. You know, what they say and what they do are the same. Those are really fundamental. But in the process of writing Belonging, one thing I learned from Robert Sapolsky, who's the head of neuroscience at Stanford University, was that a leader's emotional availability is critical for trust. And the way he explained it to me was that even if our leader is very competent and very consistent, um, we, to have really deep trust, we need to understand that they have care for us. Because ultimately they, they will be making decisions which involve us and have a consequence for us. And we're going to trust them a lot more if we think at the very least they factor us into the decision rather than not caring whatsoever about it. It doesn't mean to say all the decisions will play out for us, but we will have more trust in a leader when we at least are confident that they will think about the ramifications for us before they make final decisions. This is a really interesting point, which comes back to the leaders taking the time to observe and listen to you, to build a picture of who you are. It's that level of care. I spoke to a senior leader this week who was embarking on a series of redundancy conversations. And this clip's so relevant for these tough moments. This is a distressing time for the people hearing that news. But so often it's the person delivering it that's more worried about themselves and how they feel. Our ability to empathise and communicate in a way that supports and acknowledges the person we're speaking with is key. The conversation has to be had, but those who can treat the recipient with dignity and respect and really listen and empathise will be remembered for it. At a time when chat GPT seems to be in every news feed, making sure we're emotionally available for our friends and family, that we're with them, not scrolling or half listening or looking over their shoulder as in case somebody more important comes into the room. We're there listening, present and intent on understanding their situation. That's how trust is built. And this comes back to Paddy Steinfort's point. 
in times of high stakes, when you do the right thing, then massive deposits in the trust bank account are made because it would have been so much easier to take a shortcut or to be robotic. To wrap up this exploration of trust, we've heard from sport, business, the arts, and now we're going to hear from Lieutenant Colonel Langley Sharp, who's had an esteemed career in the British Army. And if there's one place you need to know that you can trust your teammates, it's in the life or death situations that the military face. So here's Langley's insight. Trust is the glue that binds. You can't have any high performance team uh, without trust. And it sits at multiple levels. I think it starts with the leader. And I think if you're in a position where as the leader, you instinctively trust your people, then uh, they will act positively upon that and they will, they, they will um, trust you back. And, that, and, that, um, and that, that trust will develop and grow between you. I think you've got to start to a point where you instinctively trust your people almost until they prove you wrong. I think trust is, is, is ultimately based on the foundation of shared values. And in the, in the army, we've got our six values and uh, three standards. And, and they are in, embedded in everything we do, in our folklore, in our, in our policies, in our language, in our culture. Our, our values are courage, discipline, respect for others, integrity, loyalty, and selfless commitment. And I think having those shared values allow you um, and allow teams to work most effectively together because there's that baseline foundation understanding. But they've got to be lived and breathed every, every single day. They can't just be sat in the corporate brochure, so to speak. Well, Langley was straight off the mark there with a brilliant quote, trust is the glue that binds. And you can hear those military values are really woven into everything that he believes in. And just to repeat them, they were discipline and integrity, which means you're working hard on the right things. Respect for others, which prevents conflict from being bigger than the mission, keeps everyone on track. Loyalty means sticking together to serve. Then there was that selfless commitment, which again is the opposite of self-interest. Remember, that was the thing that erodes trust in the trust equation. So selfless commitment is putting the team first and the mission first so that people can see that you've got their back. And finally, courage. And it's not just physical courage that you can imagine the military personnel need, but Langley speaks about moral courage to do the right thing, especially in challenging situations when it would have been easy to look after yourself and take the easier option. We might not be putting our lives in our colleagues' hands, but we are putting something valuable. Our aspiration, our future, our reputation, our financial security. And that's why we need to assess whether we can trust people, our suppliers, our partners, our teammates with that. We're making ourselves vulnerable in order to achieve more. And that's the special responsibility that we all hold when people trust us. The other thing that I really liked that Langley said was that you give trust first and give it to people until they prove you wrong. I really like that. Clearly we can't give our most valuable aspiration or possession to somebody we don't know, but we need to start small and build that trust over time, but give it first 
and let people respond. Our gesture of trusting someone is a risk, but they recognise that risk and they'll be even more determined to show us that they deserve that risk taking on them. And through time, we'll be able to trust them even more. And that's how the relationship grows. So we can't just rely on somebody to deliver first. We have to offer trust first. I'm not sure if we're going to dive into trusting everything we read in the media today, but I do hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and that maybe it kicks off some fresh reflections or discussions in your team about what trust is in your context. Maybe you could share this episode with your colleagues and have the chance to discuss it in your next team meeting. And you can start to think about why you trust those people that you do. And perhaps this is giving evidence to why you don't trust some of those others in your network. One thing's for sure, that if trust is the glue that binds, then every community, team and organisation needs to make sure it's ever present. What I found fascinating is that We've heard from five or six or seven different experts who've never met today, but they've all come up with consistent themes about building trust in a high performance environment. So I really hope you've taken something from it. And if I can help in any way with keynotes, webinars or access to our digital toolkit with all these videos, then just drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com. I've got loads of speeches coming up in the next few weeks with virtual sessions in Canada and Australia and face-to-face trips planned in Italy and Holland. So I'm really looking forward to that and I'll try and keep the episodes flowing as I travel. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, then please do drop me a note. I read every email that comes in and I'd love to hear from you. So thanks so much for listening and until next time, have a great week. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. 